there's a theme deeply woven into the fabric of the scriptures that we miss, many of us, almost completely. It comes up directly in the Bible nearly 400 times and indirectly even more times than that. And it is perhaps the central truth that connects the Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus talked about it constantly. This topic is essential to our understanding of who God is and what God is doing in the world today. It's everywhere in the Bible. Do you know what it is? It's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not something we perhaps consider very much. But God is the king and his kingdom is forever. And that's great news. And today what we're going to talk about is how we can pray for the kingdom of God. So let's look together at Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And as we did last week, uh, let's just read it together from the screen. It says, then pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, our daily rhythm of prayer is to include praying, God, bring your kingdom. God, let your will be done today. Perfectly, it is happening in heaven. And God, would you bring it to bear on our lives today? After grounding our confidence in the truth that God is our Father, and after praising God as beautiful and holy and worthy of all adoration, the thing Jesus tells us to pray next is, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's a way of saying, God, may everything you are about happen today. God, may I not resist you in any way. Break through in our lives. Jesus says, praying your kingdom come, your will be done, is the most important thing we pray about after we adore God, after we worship God in prayer. And notice that that posture of submission to God's will comes before we're to pray, God, give us this day our daily bread. Before we pray, God, meet our needs, we are to pray, God, may we submit ourselves to you. May your kingdom come. Our request for things from God are far less important than the submission of our wills to God. To maybe say that another way, first and foremost, our praying is not about getting God to bend to our will, but rather asking God to bend our wills to his. This is not often what we want, but it's always what we need. God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done. In God's kingdom, all things shattered are being put back together. Everything sad is becoming untrue. But so often we resist his kingdom. Why? If what the scriptures tell us about the kingdom of God isn't the stuff of fairy tales, but it's true. And it's true not just someday far off away when Jesus returns, but it can be true today 
then why would we resist God's kingdom? Why would we not pray, God, your will today be done. That's what I most want. Why would we resist that? In the 1600s, a British writer and pastor named Thomas Watson put it like this. Maybe, although he was in a very different culture, maybe it speaks to us today. It'll be on the screens. He said, when you pray, thy will be done, Jesus is telling you to pray two things. You're praying that you might do diligently all he commands and that you also might submit patiently to all he inflicts. Two things that we're not only saying, Lord, today may I do diligently everything you command in your scriptures, but we're also saying, Lord, may I submit patiently to all you inflict. I think that's why we often don't pray this, is that we're aware as believers, when we pray, God, may your will be done, that we're surrendering our own wills and that we're saying, Lord, whatever you bring today, I want to receive it as coming from you or at least allowed by you in order that you would develop me in your kingdom. Perhaps that's why we resist this prayer. We modern people tend to believe we know best. And when things are good, we are fine with God. But when we go through seasons of hardship, struggle, doubt, which we all will, then we tend to forget God or struggle with God. This prayer is a way of correcting that each and every day. Our, t- our prayers tend to be much more, God, may my kingdom come. May my will be done. Then God, let what you want happen. And may I not fight you. May I simply, patiently, lovingly submit to you. But friends, that's why this is beautiful, life-giving, wonderful thing to pray. Far from oppressive, this is freeing. Far from hard and difficult, this is easy and life-giving. Jesus gives us a picture right here in the middle of this prayer, this instruction on how we should pray of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not first a warm, soft, fuzzy blanket for the soul. It is that, but before that, it's a sledgehammer. The gospel says we're sinners and God is a righteous judge. The gospel says we have no hope in and of ourselves, that our sin debt is too great. The gospel says if we put ourselves first, then we will not only not get our heart's desire, but we'll mess up other people in the process. The gospel says that despite of everything inside of us that believes we're in charge, God is in charge. God's president, God's king, God's right. God does what is right. And the obligation of everyone everywhere is to submit to Jesus as king. That's what the gospel first says. Friend, if you refuse to follow Jesus in that way, then you are neglecting the very fountain from which abundant life flows. But right here in the middle of this prayer, as I said, is the gospel. God, you're worthy of all praise. God, your will be done. By the grace of Jesus Christ, I submit to you. Do with me today everything you want to do. When life reaches that point, then you know what comes next? 
When we are at the point individually and as a church family of saying, God, whatever you want, that's what we want, then the most natural thing to do after that is say, God, here's my needs. Would you meet them? That's what we'll talk about next week. The gospel resolves our sin debt and our alienation from God so that we can go before him freely and ask him to meet our needs, trusting that he will do that because he's a good God. Isn't that beautiful? All of that is here in this model prayer. Christians, we need that every day, not just the day we became a follower of Christ. It's the prayer, God melt, soften, bend my will to yours. And whatever comes up, help me to trust you and extend your good rule over everything. I so appreciated the way Todd prayed that today for what's happening in Syria. We can pray globally like that together. Friends, all of this is bound up in your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe you don't pray that way, that kind of language. But it's no different than saying, God, take our hearts, our will, our desires, our longings, and put them into the fire, fiery furnace of your love and truth until all that remains in our hearts is your good will. Wouldn't it be amazing if each morning when you wake up, besides, oh, what a horrible morning this is. I should hit snooze again that the very next thing that comes to mind is, God, you're a good God. And we worship you today by your grace. And before my feet ever hit the floor and start out the day, may I start by submitting to you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Far from impractical and otherworldly, that is what we most need. It's to be reminded in the mornings that God is in charge. But frankly, in some ways, God's kingdom is such a strange, hard concept, isn't it? Do something rare and be honest in this room. That's a weird thing to say. Your kingdom, God, we're not people that live under a king, at least not governmentally. When we pray God's kingdom come, what does that actually mean? In our remaining time, I'd love us to consider that under three movements, if you will. First, what is God's kingdom? Maybe we'll consider for a few minutes together. What exactly does that mean, that God has a kingdom? Second, what does God's kingdom look like? If there is a king and this is what his kingdom is, then how do we know when we see it? What does it actually appear and look like? And then third, why pray for God's kingdom? If God's really in control, and if God really has all power to do everything he wants to do, then why bother praying for that? Isn't it something that already exists? Why do we need to pray it? So what is God's kingdom? Why, or, or what does God's kingdom look like, and why pray for God's kingdom? Those are the remaining things we'll talk about today. So first, God's kingdom, what is it? For those of us in the room who are uh, Americans, particularly those of us in the room who are from Arizona, we are people resistant to authority. 
That is just a fact that's embedded very deep in Phoenician culture. We tend to be people that believe all external authority is intrinsically oppressive. We believe that our lives would be best if there is no constraint on our wills, that we get what we want because we are more trustworthy than other people, particularly those in power. We recoil at the idea that somebody outside of ourselves would have the audacity to say, no, really somebody else is in charge. Frankly, aspects of that are understandable. There are ways in which it's not surprising that we've reached that conclusion. It's no small thing that roughly one-fourth of us in this room have been sexually abused, many times by people in authority over us. We've had crummy experiences with parents and presidents. Fathers have left, teachers have been cruel, coaches have been bullies, congressmen have been hypocrites, bosses have been selfish and incompetent. No wonder we struggle with authority, right? But our battle with authority isn't so much out there as it is in here. Our hearts were made to worship God because he's in charge. But our selfishness convinces us, against all evidence, that we know best, that we are in charge. And God frees us from those foolish lies through the gospel. The truth is, God is king. God over a little huge, God rules over a huge, wonderful, amazing, ever-expanding, eternal kingdom. But I want to rule over my little kingdom of self. God is the one true, good, holy, wise, just, all-powerful, eternal ruler. He is the uncreated creator. He is God. He is king. He is Lord. So what is the kingdom of God then? Well, theologians tend to talk about the kingdom of God as the rule and the reign of God. Meaning, God's kingdom resides anywhere where there are people who acknowledge him as the good, sovereign ruler and Lord. We don't have kings in this country, regardless of what those of you in the room who are older than me tend to think of Elvis, and what those of you in the room who are younger than me think of LeBron James. There are no kings in America. So this concept of a kingdom and kings is hard for us. When we do think of kings and kingdoms, we think of specific geographical areas like Saudi Arabia, where there is a king over a kingdom. But God's kingdom is not a place. It's a relationship. God's kingdom is anywhere Jesus is acknowledged, followed, and enjoyed. God's kingdom is a realm in which God exercises full right, control, and people submit to, acknowledge, surrender to that king. God's kingdom is God's people enjoying and displaying Jesus Christ to each other. God's kingdom is all of that, but it's still difficult. Even though that image is everywhere in the Bible, it's still difficult to grasp. So here's a few more pictures. 
When a prophet finally broke into the scene in Israel after 400 years, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, from the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, to the events in the next book, Matthew, a period of a little over 400 years transpired in which there was no new authoritative life-giving word from God. But when one came through a man named John, here's what he said, Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus preached his first sermon in his hometown as a 30-year-old man, here's what he said. From the time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus chose 12 disciples and trained them up to continue his ministry and mentored them in disciple-making, he said to them, proclaim as you go, you're probably guessing, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Friends, the kingdom of God is not Israel. It's not America. It's not ASU. It's not a place. The kingdom of God is a relationship. It's here. It's anywhere the rule and reign of God is acknowledged and enjoyed. So that's what God's kingdom is. And of course, this would be a hard subject for us. But we're intimately familiar with the desire to be in charge. And so the kingdom is us saying, God, by your grace, may you rule and reign today. So that's what it is. Now let's talk a little bit about what it looks like. When we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, how would we know if he answered that prayer? One of the things I personally find hard about praying is it can feel intangible. It, it can feel like, is this actually doing something? Or are these words just bouncing around? Can anyone identify with that? When we pray, God, bring your kingdom. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. How do we, do we know if it made any difference that we prayed that? Well, what should we be looking for throughout the day if we were to pray that before we get up? How would we know if it happens? Well, we're studying Matthew 6 together in this, in this series. And perhaps you could try that this week. Set a, try this this week. Set aside an hour. Get a big, huge cup of coffee. <laughs> Sit down with your Bible. If you don't have one, take one from the chair sitting in front of you. And simply read Matthew from start to finish. It's 28 chapters. You can, I'm an extremely slow reader. and I can read it in an hour. And watch for the images, the descriptions, the analogies of the kingdom. Matthew tells us more about the kingdom than seemingly anything else. And Jesus was constantly giving pictures of it because he knew this is a hard thing to see. He said the kingdom is like a man who sowed good seeds. He said the kingdom is like leaven hidden in flour. He said the kingdom is like a mustard seed. He said the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. The kingdom is like a king who wants to settle accounts. The kingdom is like a king who threw a wedding party for his son. Well, thanks a lot, Jesus. Those images help us get it tremendously more. 
Here's what Jesus was getting. In all of those images, actually, the kingdom is like nothing you would expect. Because God's kingdom doesn't work the way you want your kingdom to work. God's kingdom is shocking. God's kingdom is surprising. God's kingdom isn't what you'd expect. Because God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, we're thrilled that you're with us. And I want to encourage you to listen closely to my next several sentences. You get in the kingdom of God not by being super spiritual and not by obeying all the rules in the Bible, but by acknowledging you've rejected the king and asking him to forgive you. That isn't what we'd expect from a king. We'd expect a king to say, you're in my good graces if you follow all of these rules. But our king knows we can't. And so he says, I love you enough to embody everything the kingdom is and then to die in your place. And if you'll trust in me and ask me for my forgiveness, then you can live in the joy of the kingdom. God's kingdom is a kingdom not marked by pomp and circumstance, red carpet and palaces, trending on Twitter and inundating Instagram. God's kingdom comes differently. It comes subversively. It's a kingdom not where the rich and powerful are served by the poor, but where those who are actually great have humbled themselves by becoming a servant of all. It's a kingdom that's like a mustard seed. The tiniest of all seeds. So difficult to see. There are some days in which it feels like all of this might not even actually be true. And yet through faith in Christ, God says, my kingdom is growing. My kingdom has come. My kingdom will come fully. And Matthew uses this picture of a mustard seed growing into a tree in which all needs are met. Friends, God's kingdom is growing, not by force and might, but by grace and truth. Not by shock and awe, but by repentance and peace. Because God's kingdom is a kingdom of the gospel. One day, Jesus was being heckled by the religious right of his day. Really, they weren't any different than the religious right of our day. In that day, they were called Pharisees and scribes. Today, we call them judgmentalism, legalistic, bitter, holier than thou. Religious people that believe, because externally they've followed a lot of the rules, that they're better than the rest of us. Jesus was teaching in the temple, proclaiming the good rule and reign of God. So he's talking about the kingdom. She just got off a plane and she knew it. And he was telling them that the religious right, the ones who grew up in church, who thought they followed all the rules, who hadn't been tainted by the things that we have, like promiscuity, people who stood up and used big spiritual words, who looked spiritual. He said to them in Matthew 21, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors, and prostitutes go into the kingdom before you. 
If that isn't a little bit offensive, then you don't really understand what he's saying. He's saying your very best efforts are no better. They're just as sinful as the things that we despise the most. And the only way into the kingdom is to fall headlong onto the grace of God. Where prostitutes enter before those who are self-righteous and moralistic. Friends, God's presence and power, God's grace and truth, God's love and forgiveness come not to those who think their behavior has warranted God's love, but to those who are well aware that it hasn't. And therefore they seek and respond to him. What does the kingdom of God look like then? It looks like the filthiest among us being washed clean by Christ. And it looks like those who society says are the best and brightest coming to grips with the fact that their broken, filthy, prideful hearts also need to be washed clean by Jesus. The kingdom of God looks like sinners being rescued by the gospel. And from that then flow all kinds of supernatural changes. The abused becoming overcomers. The anxious becoming steadfastness. The fatherless gaining the perfect heavenly father. The selfish becoming selfless. The stingy becoming generous. The lonely gaining the family of God. The angry becoming people of peace. The arrogant, humble. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. We could go on and on and on and on and on. Because praying for the kingdom of God is simply praying, God, evidence your good gospel in our lives today. And every time one of those glorious moments shines through into our broken world, it's a sign of things to come. Because one day, God's kingdom will pervade everything. Won't that be great? Now, God's kingdom, why pray for it? D.A. Carson, one of the greatest living theologians, wrote, we need a king, one who's perfectly righteous, who cannot be corrupted, who's entirely good, in whom there is never any taint of evil. We're surrounded by brokenness, rebellion against the king, resistance to his kingdom always, always leads to hardship. It always ushers in ruin. Sin, sickness, rape, disease, loneliness, broken families, and most terribly, separation from the God who made us. That's what we get when we live in the little kingdom of ourselves. Every day we live and work and drive and walk and bike surrounded by broken people whose hearts have been shattered. And there is a king who can put them back together. So why pray for the kingdom? It's because people so desperately need God. We so desperately need God. God's kingdom is both already and not yet. God's kingdom is already here. He's present in the lives of all who have yielded to him. And yet there's many of us who have not yet yielded to him. And so we live in a world where the kingdom is both yes already and 
not quite yet. And so every time we follow God's will and enjoy God's gospel, every time we exhibit Christ-like love to someone unlovely, every time we show joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, when those things flow from hearts where there had been only selfishness, then God's kingdom has already come in Christ. Have you seen that recently? Has there been someone through which God shone the light of Christ? I'd encourage you before you leave today to go to them and say, I see the king ruling in you. Thank you. What a gift that would be. Why pray for that? Because we so desperately need it. And because all of us have friends and family, neighbors and classmates, who don't yet know the king. To be a Christian is to be a citizen of a heavenly kingdom and to serve as a sign that his kingdom is coming. But there's so much heartache left. There are so many who don't yet know and love Christ Jesus. As Eric talked a few minutes ago about the ministry of our college in our church, serving ASU, hoping to fill dorms with Christians, testifying to the gospel. He's talking about people who won't show up here. Do you know there's tens of thousands of those? Friends, what would happen at ASU? What would happen in your workplace? What would happen in your home? If you were broken by the fact that there are lost people and prayed before we get out of bed, God, bring your kingdom today. Because what that does is it takes the spotlight off of me and my desires and puts it on God and his desires, which means the gospel would then go everywhere we go. That's what Church on Mill is for. That's what every true church is for. God used this little life, this little family, this little church, churches all around the valley and beyond, to bring your kingdom today. Maybe we could summarize all of this message. And yes, you can say, well, why didn't you just say that? By saying, Father, today, by your power, may we delight to do and seek your will for all creation. Father, today, by your power, may we delight to do and seek your will for all creation. God, extend your perfect rule in heaven over every part of our lives. Let there be no place in me resisting your good, sovereign will. God, help me today to not merely be okay with, but even rejoice in whatever you bring. You're in charge. You're my king. Preparing me now for whatever your providence would bring. And extend your good power over the whole earth today for your glory. Enable us to love as you love. Spur us to forgive as you forgave. Transform our hearts so we'll do good to all, especially to those who belong to you. One scholar put it like this. Make us a community of healed healers. Make us retuned orchestra to play the kingdom music until the world takes up the song. Make us, make us servants of the Lord, the few with the message for the many. 
That's what this prayer is all about. And so as we close, I wonder if you'd take a moment and ask God, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, for those of us in the room that already have trusted in you for salvation, we remain a people sometimes confused by and even resistant to your will. Sometimes that's because we've been taught or read or assumed things that we thought you promised. So of course it's perplexing when it doesn't turn out that way and we can be confused by and even think you've, you've acted contrary to what you've promised. Other times it's because suffering, hardship that we never thought would befall us has. So God, we say to you today, would you help Would you convince us that your kingdom is good in every way? That your word is trustworthy in every way? And that all things work together for the good of those who love God? And that good is making us more like Christ and your kingdom is the very, very best thing we could ever be involved in. May we become a people marked by you as our king, living according to the patterns of your kingdom. I pray that my brothers and sisters, after Tad shares with us briefly and gives a benediction, that we'd even sit and dwell in this for a little bit and turn to each other and voice ways in which we've not submitted to God and ask you, Father, to help us and that brother or sister to encourage us. And then, Lord, I'd pray for those in the room that don't, don't know the king. What a wonderful king you are. God, would you illuminate their minds and hearts that they might trust you and then express that to somebody today. We say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.